Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid back nature. He's a family man and being a country mega star while also having seven kids. You know, he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Pod Pina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend and Sports Illustrated senior writer, Chris Herring. Chris, how is life going for you on this lovely day? I'm a tired man who did not leave enough time for myself to watch basketball, but there are worse things in the world, so I'm still blessed, man. I appreciate you asking. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's uh, it's sunny in Brooklyn. Can't complain. Um, I feel like yesterday in the NBA was one of the weirdest, most terrible in some ways days that I can recall, and then last night we had some just awesome NBA action, which was a fun dichotomy to experience. Um, But uh, we have so much, as I just alluded to, we have so much to get to on today's show, kind of covering all of that, including later in today's episode, um, as a way to honor Kevin Durant's mesmerizing all-time, you know, legacy-defining performance on Tuesday night, uh, you and I are actually going to give our five favorite slash most memorable slash most impressive individual performances that we've ever seen and just kind of rank those. Um, so that's going to be really exciting. I can't wait to see what uh, what games you selected, Chris. But first, we, we have quite a bit of news to cover. And uh, we will start with this email from uh, our listener, Drew who is a Sixers fan, who is pretty sad right now. Drew wrote in uh, late last night, um, Guys, I am currently leaving the stadium from Sixers Game 5, and that was just unbelievable. Should I be grateful that Simmons didn't somehow make a negative amount of free throws, 
Or what about grateful that Tobias Harris didn't make a negative number of shots? <laughs> anyway, what do you think we can get for either of those guys on the trade market? Because I'm willing to package them for Taco Fall at this point. Uh, yearning for Jimmy Butler, Drew. Um, Drew, thank you for that <laughs> very painful um, email. I'm sure it was tough to write. Uh, we appreciate it, though. Um, you know, Chris, I, we don't need to you know get too into the weeds with trade talk right now because uh, the series is obviously still going on. That was only Game 5. Game 6 is in Atlanta on Friday night, um, and the Sixers, even though they blew that game, did have a 26-point lead in the second half and are very good. Uh, so I guess we'll just, you know, I'll just point it to you like this. Just how devastating was that loss for Philadelphia, and what were you kind of thinking to yourself as you were watching them implode last night? So this was one of the games where I, I, I saw what happened before I watched the game. I, uh, <laughs> I'm in the process of moving into a condo and taking care of all that stuff. So I, I had checked in kind of, you know, different points in the game to just see what the score was. And I was like, okay, I'm not missing much for the first half. Maybe even a little bit into the third quarter, like, I'm not missing much. I'm going to go back and watch clips of this game and, you know, sequences, but like, don't need to watch the whole thing. After I got home and saw what the score was and what the final score was, I was like, oh, um, I'm going to have to go back and watch this whole game because how the <laughs> hell, <laughs> how the hell did this happen? And it's crazy to think that, you know, for how crazy game four was with, you know, an 18 point lead that they blow and, you know, Embiid maybe playing as badly as we've seen really ever, um, in, in the second half of that game. Um, to then watch game five and it's like even worse as far as just how much they imploded. And I think Ben Simmons said it best where he was like, that's a pretty devastating loss. Like there's really no way around that. Um, particularly when they were up by it that much in game four. And so now, I mean, they still might be the better team in the series, but even if they take a big lead, in game six, particularly on the road, since they, um, you know, they just blew that one. Um, you can't imagine that there's a lead that they feel comfortable and confident with. Like I just, it has to shake your confidence at some point when you basically blow two point two twenty point leads in a row. And I mean, to the person who emailed, uh, yeah, I mean, and Tobias Harris has had moments where he's been fantastic this postseason. It's one thing for Ben Simmons to be Ben Simmons and to only take four shots or three shots or whatever he's going to take um, to get that sort of performance out of Harris um, when you're when Curry is playing out of his mind. Um, I think that's one of the more disheartening things. It's like you actually have that guy now that can knock down shots and you're still kind of dealing with this lack of scoring from everybody else even when you have him doing that. So I don't know what to make of them. I mean, it was a devastating loss. Atlanta has shown themselves to be on relatively even footing, obviously in the second half more than even footing, and they're still not at full strength with, with you know not having Hunter. So um, huge win for Atlanta. You know, obviously Philly lost that game, but Atlanta. I've said it a lot of times this postseason. They they don't really play like a a team that hasn't been here before. Um, in terms of the ability to do that two games in a row, um, you know, really hostile environment that they played in. They, like, they've got to play these teams on the East Coast, you know, in the Northeast where the fans are just really hostile. Um, so complete props to them because I know obviously we'll talk about it from the standpoint of Philly, but Atlanta 
Atlanta continues to impress me at a time where I thought that they're basically done in this series. Um, clearly they weren't. And uh, now, you know, now the onus is on Philly to, to make something happen. Yeah, I'm glad that you shouted out Atlanta in your response because obviously we're going to look at Philly for crapping the bed and they deserve a ton of criticism. That's one of the worst losses. I tweeted this last night. One of the worst losses I've just ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> um, there's really no sugarcoating it. Uh, but. You know, the way that John Collins played, the three, the, the banked three that John Collins had in, late what in the fourth quarter. I, hey, man, it's the bank was open for him. Good for John Collins, who is finally, you know, I thought he looked a little tentative and a little nervous earlier in this series. And even earlier in the in the Knicks series, to be honest, going back to that. And I thought he was a little bit in his head. He's just playing free right now, um, really trusting his shot. Uh, attacking the offensive glass, as many pointed out, um, in Game 4, which led them to that comeback. So shout-out to him. Um, the fact that the Hawks won this game with uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich in foul trouble uh, throughout the second half, the fa- without Kevin Herter scoring a point in the game, making a basket in the game, I just I didn't think that that recipe was there for them. Uh, Lou Williams was a hero, uh, Gallinari was a hero, and of course Trey Young is just. Um, I just never want to hear anyone say that the Hawks made a mistake for trading for Trey Young. I just, I just don't. I, 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 I'm not saying that Trey Young is not a uh, Trey Young is better than Luca. I'm just think. I, I just think that that conversation needs to to die. We, we um, can't. We can't realistically have that conversation at a time where. I mean, at this point, you make it past the second round, anything can happen. Um, right. We we don't know who's gonna. I mean, obviously Brooklyn has a, a big advantage now, but like we don't know who's gonna come out of that series. You know, at this point, I don't know how anyone can feel totally comfortable if Milwaukee comes out of that series. Um, we know Atlanta can really score. We, we're watching them play defense when they really need to in these second halves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and Brooklyn may not be fully healthy. So I mean, we could be talking about a situation where <laughs> Trey Young makes the finals before Luca's made. You know the second round. Wins a series, <laughs> right? So it, I, I get that argument. I do think it's kind of an oddity in terms of how it's playing out, but it doesn't matter. And you know, I've said this a couple times. It's, it's a weird argument to make because it's, you know, obviously the players are not the same guys. But um, mm-hmm. you know, that draft now, as we look back on it, and I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks, ever since I wrote a piece on Trey. Um, there's a reason that when we talk about Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan that we don't invoke the name of the first person who was right. taken in that draft because he won titles too and because he was all-time great too and you know Hall of Famer too. So if that's what Trey Young ends up becoming, you know whether it's that he wins titles or not, um, it's you don't knock the idea of getting someone who's like a ten-time All-Star. You know as long as you don't get Sam Bowie in that draft, I think you're okay and you can you know if Luca goes on to win six titles and and Trey never gets one okay but again if the trajectory starts out this way even if it's just kind of weird stuff that happens to to lead to it you can't really say much and I I think that that argument is going to just have to die for a while that people have and you know not to even mention the stuff that I had in my story about why Atlanta was interested in taking Trey Young beyond just you know the idea of sheer basketball which that does come into play and you know you could make the argument that you know, some people may not understand that. Atlanta is a very different sort of city. Atlanta struggles to kind of connect with fans. Um, and, you know, there's no question that they're resonating now. 
maybe they would have resonated just as much with Luca, but who knows? We're seeing now, and we'll maybe talk about this on the podcast, building around Luca, you know, you have to do that the right way just like with anything else, and who knows whether Dallas does that. Right, and you, you mentioned Sam Bowie. Um, Marvin Bagley was drafted second overall in that draft, and that is, uh, sadly, he is turning into the modern-day Sam Bowie. I hope he gets healthy and has a nice career, but it what is if, not. What if we get a finals so with, with Aiton and Trey Young? Um, it would probably be the, the league's ratings nightmare, not that I care about that. But, um, yeah, it, it would be crazy to think about that. And then you have Luca, and then you just got Bagley sitting there with the sad face. It's... it's <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, neither here nor there. What were you saying before? Keep us on track. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, real quick, um, I, I wanted to say that, you know, Trey had an unbelievable game. And it is so one of the more devastating parts of this is from Philly's perspective is you waste this Seth Curry game, this like masterpiece by Seth Curry. And he is the guy who Daryl Morey trades Josh Richardson for. He is the guy who... Um, is in some ways replacing J.J. Redick as that integral um, outside shooter who can come off screens, who can space the floor for Embiid and Simmons, because those guys have, I mean, those guys need gravity around them for obvious reasons. And to lose a game where he has the game of his life is, I don't know where you go for answers from there. Obviously, Tobias, as you mentioned, was super disappointing, two for 11 um, on the night. But like, it all comes back to me always to Ben Simmons, and I don't even like having this conversation, so we don't need to, but you take four shots, zero shots in the fourth quarter, um, you miss 10 free throws, you're, like, you're on the floor to essentially make Trey Young's night a nightmare, and Trey Young's just blowing by you in the fourth quarter, getting whatever he wants, getting the floater, getting to the free throw line, drawing fouls. Um, hitting threes like it's so I don't I don't know if you're paying that guy a max contract you got to get more out of him it's, just, it's very simple it's not I'm not trying to be like overly critical it's just this very simple proposition like if I pay you a max contract I expect you to not take four shots and zero shots in two straight playoff games where we've blown huge leads like it's just just what it is for me I don't know how you how you view it no, I, I have a story out today where I'm not even writing about Ben Simmons or the Sixers, but I mentioned that, um, which is probably not good to have a mention in my story if I'm not writing about you or your team for that matter. But I think that's the reality is that, um, you know, I remember having this conversation with Zach Lowe months ago when the Harden trade happened and we were kind of talking about what Houston prioritized. And, you know, and obviously Houston's been criticized for what they did or didn't get back for James mm -hmm. Harden and the fact that they could have had Simmons. But what I said to Zach, and I guess I would say now, when you're trading a player of that caliber, you obviously want to get something monumental in return. But to look and say that just because Simmons is one of the options that you could have, to say that that's who you want. Um, I mean, if you really want him, sure. But... You know, the jury at that time was still out about whether he's a franchise player. There's no doubt he's talented. He's su supremely talented. But, and even on offense, he's very talented, but not as a scorer and not as a shooter, clearly, you know, not as someone that's comfortable shooting. Um, so to build your team, particularly when you're rebuilding, you should be able to rebuild your team however you want and kind of whatever image you want. Um, 
I understand why Houston maybe didn't want to do that. Um, and taking it a step further, even not making someone your franchise player, but your co-star, which is essentially the role that they have had Simmons pegged for, obviously with that contract and everything. And similar to Porzingis with, with Luca. Um, mm-hmm. it's really, really, really hard and maybe impossible to win a title in the NBA or even really contend really deeply for one. If you're not getting anywhere near like max level production from a player that you're paying a max deal to. And I mean, you could be as good as Ben Simmons is on defense and I'm not quite sure. Like, I mean, you could make a pretty strong argument. I think that like Gobert, for instance, for all the criticism he gets for what he isn't as an offensive player, he's obviously not a dominant scorer, but like he does a lot more on offense than Simmons does in a lot of ways. And you know, it, it's at least more consistent. Like, he's going to take more than four shots. Um, right. You know, obviously he's not creating those shots, but that's not the point. So, I get it. And it's it's really hard to win that way, even when you're getting 38 or whatever it was, 37 from Seth. I mean, you you got to have something from Simmons. And I don't know. I don't know what to make of that, but it's it's really hard to survive that way. It's really hard to win championships that way. And I think if they do get knocked out this round in particular – I do think we're probably going to see a situation where they try to move him, and I don't even know what the return would be because somebody else has to take that into their space. And like I said, I, I don't know that if you can't win a title with him as your number two at max level, you know, salary. Do you want to sign up to have him as your number one at max salary? Like, why would you want that? A lot of great points. Um, you know, the Rudy Gobert comparison is is really fascinating um, and really it speaks to the value of fit. Rudy's fit in Utah is perfect. Like, right. they don't need him to score. They need him to set screens and roll and draw attention, offensive rebound, and all these things he can do, which is wonderful. And then just guard the rim on the other end and be the great defensive player that he is. Um, I think the worst thing, the worst contract you can have in the NBA is a max contract that is not giving max production. And even a max contract that is giving just barely max production, like the best contracts are the ones that are max deals where I'm getting way more than I paid for. That's Those are the contracts that you want in your books. Ben Simmons, right? Like Joel Embiid, for example, is that contract. Um, And Joel Embiid was fantastic last night and is clearly laboring through um, physical ailments and just can't bring it for four quarters um and really i I don't know how he solves that issue with it it's it's tough um he needs to pace himself better or something i don't know i wouldn't even say that it's his fault though i don't even know if it's pacing because my thought too i was thinking the same thing like give him less minutes maybe um part of me wonders if you know after you get to play on it and loosen up the knee a little bit if 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 that's a thing Mm -hmm. then when you go back for halftime and come back out that you like it's just to get started back up after that for how big a to-do it is probably to get them rolling right. and then to stop and then start again. Um, maybe, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's just that he doesn't have it for 48 minutes, but you know, it's all, I always think it's really interesting when you guys sprain an ankle, obviously a meniscus is not an ankle, but um, yeah, I, I it, it makes me wonder if there's something that they could do to situate his minutes differently because it's been such a clear thing in the second halves. Uh, but at the same time, like that's a time where you really wish you could go to Simmons, who hasn't mm-hmm. taken any shots basically, and he could do something in the second half. It's just, yeah, the, the, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating. Um, 
it, it's going to be fascinating from you know Milwaukee and that series and what happens with them if they don't win. But Philly just as much if, if they lose in this round. Because there was a lot of conversation about the idea that, like, well, if Embiid doesn't play, then all of a sudden the, the Hawks are at least, you know, maybe even with the Sixers. Maybe they're the favorite. Um, I don't think you could have paid me to believe that if Embiid played the whole series and was producing the way he has. He obviously had the really one rough game. I don't think I would have believed that they could win the series with Embiid playing as well as he has. Granted, you know, laboring through it. Um, but they've just gotten so little out of, you know, different times Harris and uh, certainly Simmons. It's just been a, a really forgettable series for him. So, yeah, Embiid has been dominant, particularly on the defensive end. His dominance is just, it, he's incredible. So um, shout out to him. I wish he spoke to the media after the loss last night. That would have been nice. But, uh, you know, can't win them all. Um, okay, so that I think that leads us perfectly into our next email um, which is about, sadly, injuries. Uh, yesterday we had, uh, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard's, um, it was revealed that he sprained his knee and he missed last night's game five, uh, that the Clippers ultimately won um, without him, which was, uh, we don't, we're probably not going to get to, to go deep into that one on today's show, but that was a great game. Um, and there's, I think, eight players, eight all-stars who have missed at least at one game in this postseason, which is an NBA record. And yesterday, LeBron James went on a, uh, a rant on Twitter, uh, basically saying, I told you so. I think I'm quoting uh, his first tweet on that thread. Um, but uh, let me read this email from, uh, uh, from Pavel, um, who writes, can we just call this season a bust? I can't think of a season in playoffs that could be more meaningless than the one that we are going through, where half the players are injured and all four conference finalists from the previous year are knocked out before the conference finals in the current year. What will winning a championship even mean this year? That you were the healthiest and or luckiest team in the NBA? We know it won't be the best teams competing for the Larry OB. It's unfortunate that the NBA thought it was so important to play as many games as possible during the regular season to make up for the lost revenue with the playoffs now a total joke. Just a real disappointment. What will the 30 for 30 on this season be called? 2020-21 NBA champions, the asterisk season? Um, thank you for the email. And... You know, I, I don't think I'm as uh, <laughs> yeah as uh, 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 dramatic with my read on the situation as as our emailer and wonderful listener, um, but I can understand why certain fans are, are frustrated with what they're watching. Everyone wants to see the best players play, um, and even someone like Donovan Mitchell, who uh, you know he missed Game One of the playoffs with the ankle injury after missing a few weeks at the end of the regular season with it. And then, you know, he plays in game five and he's played pretty well in this series. I thought, um, struggled, the jazz really struggled missed last Mike, night. really struggled last night. The jazz really missed Mike Conley. That would be nice. But he said after the game, Donovan did that, uh, he can barely move on that ankle. So that's just another yeah. huge bummer. Um, so Chris, I'll just, you know, throw it to you. The injuries, <laughs> just a blanket statement like what are, what are your thoughts on what's going on here and do you care as much as our emailer here i really uh i'll just say it i really don't like injuries i prefer that they not happen <laughs> uh yeah i'm not as dramatic about that i mean it look you know i'm someone that's writing 
a book or, you know, we'll have a book out soon. So I'm, I understand the idea of there being historians and people that pay really close attention, read it in between the lines of, of everything that's happened and historical precedent. This season will be unusual for any number of reasons. Last season was unusual for any number of reasons. Um, you know, whether it was a situation where LeBron did speak up, and I'm sure he did, and it was very clear, even if he hadn't spoken up to folks in the league, it was very clear he did not want to start the season nearly as quickly as the league did. It was also very mm-hmm. clear why the league did it. Um, so, yeah, this I mean, this year sucks. Some of this you probably could see the writing on the wall before it happened. Some of these injuries I don't think were necessarily a result of anything schedule-wise. Um, you could make the argument even that maybe LeBron's injury that, that really cost him a lot of games was not due to that either. It was like a freak sort of thing that happened. Um, right. But also, you know, I'm hesitant to say, does a title even mean anything to who wins it? I mean, are you really going to tell Phoenix fans that this year didn't mean anything when they finished, what, a game out of first place in the regular season and are in the playoffs for the first time in however long this is? Like, are you really going to tell me that if the Jazz had the best record in the regular season and then they win the title that that doesn't mean anything? Was their path made a little bit easier by the injuries? Maybe, but, like, are you really going to tell me that the Jazz, who lost Mitchell for the end of the regular season, and then the first game of the postseason, we just talked about his ankle being messed up now, and didn't have Conley for this whole series, if they somehow find a way to win this, that we're just going to say it doesn't matter? Like, we, it, it's, it's a little bit too much hyperbole. I, I appreciate the question, I understand the premise of it. Fully agree with the idea that it, it, it sucks, and that it, you know, it changes the scope of it, but... Um, you have injuries every year. I'm not even completely convinced that we are seeing way more of them. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned the record. You just mentioned the record number. That's eight players that have missed one playoff game. So it's it's kind of like a very finely tuned statistic to kind of get that point across. Um, it sucks, but I yeah, I, I still think there's plenty of value in a title, particularly when you talk about all these teams that are left over that haven't won in like 30 years or more. So I, you know, I don't, I don't think that people are going to like not take the title out of respect for the idea of the integrity of, you know, an injury-free playoff. Like they're going to take the title, and if you were a fan of that team, you would probably take the title too. I, I don't know if you said uh, where this person was from or if they're if they're a fan of a certain team, but I don't think it cheapens it for them at all. I I agree. Um, injuries are bad. Um, I, <laughs> I I think it is a little disrespectful to the teams that are remaining to say, hey, you just won the title because player X, player Y wasn't available. I mean, we're about to talk about the greatest individual performances that we've ever seen. And earlier this week, the Brooklyn Nets were down Kyrie Irving, who... Um, Sprained his ankle, you know, it was a basketball play. He landed on Giannis's foot in the paint. I, I don't, you know, that happens. It's basketball. I don't know how you, like, legislate that out with um, any way, either a rule change or um, giving players more time. And It's just like that's going to happen. Injuries happen. It's, it's professional sports. Um, they didn't have Kyrie. James Harden really tried to play. Uh, looked like, I don't know, like, 40%, 30% of himself uh, in that game. And what we got and what we were blessed with was one of the greatest performances of all time and Kevin Durant um, just completely going off. So it's not like just because 
certain stars are out that everyone else should lay down either. And we saw that last night with the Clippers. Uh, We got a great game out of Paul George. That was incredible. That was very fun to watch. Um, Terrence Mann stepped up. Reggie Jackson stepped up. Um, So I don't, you know, I know Mike Conley was out on the other end, and he's very valuable to what the Jazz do. It's clear as day if when you watch their offense, especially late in the game. Um, He's everything. And Gobert is suffering because he doesn't have Mike Conley pick and rolls also. Um, So, you know, the injuries stink. But again, like, you know, if the Hawks get to the finals, then we should congratulate the Hawks for getting to the finals. It's not easy just because there were some injuries along the way. And by the way, the Hawks don't have Cam Reddish. The Hawks do not have DeAndre Hunter. So everybody is going through it. Um, I personally have always been just like, I don't think an asterisk needs to denigrate a season. I think it can just separate it, let everybody know that this was not like all the other seasons. But it doesn't make anything lesser. Um, if you win a title, you win a title. Everyone's going through the same circumstances, and I don't want to hear whining from Clippers fans or or Lakers fans or Nuggets fans or Celtics fans or whoever. It's just it is what it is, um, and that's my read on it. <laughs> I guess I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's that complicated, but I do understand why um, it's it sucks a lot, and we all want to see all the great players play basketball this time of year, and it's a bummer that we don't. Um, Chris, do you have anything more to say about injuries or can we get into, uh, or do you want to, do you want to hit some of the, you know, I put this in the outline for you and I don't know if we're going to have time to go too deep on it, but do you want to hit some of the other news that we had, um, yesterday there was a, a, a splash of firings and, um, uh, front office executives getting moved surprisingly. Do you want to hit that stuff or do you want to sure. just go let's, right into it? Let's get to it quickly. Um, Okay. I, I think that stuff was interesting, too. Okay, wonderful. So yesterday, uh, Stan Van Gundy, Scott Brooks, um, both head coaches uh, uh, were let go by their respective teams, the New Orleans Pelicans and the Washington Wizards. And uh, the Dallas Mavericks parted ways with Donnie Nelson after a report in The Athletic um, earlier this week where there was, seemed to be a little bit of a power struggle um, in the front office between uh, Donnie Nelson, uh, Rick Carlisle, and Bob Valgaris, the uh, uh, former professional gambler who um, has uh, come into the Dallas Mavericks organization over the past couple of years and um, really run their analytics and um, has apparently been a very influential voice for Mark Cuban. So let's start with Stan. Because I think that was the one that caught me personally off guard the most. He's only been in New Orleans for one season. You could say they disappointed. Um, didn't even make the play-in after a great season by by Zion. Just like a, I, I still can't get over some of the performances that he had all year. Um, what was your take on that news? And like, why why do you think it happened? You know, there's a report today again in the Athletic about. Um, uh, some in Zion's family who uh, are upset with the Pelicans uh, uh, organization and they want him out um, of that city. What's your read on on the stand firing and just how shocking was it for you? Well, I think anytime somebody's out after one year, you know, as much as you and me and uh, other folks in the industry that are like us 
point to X's and O's and scheme. When you're out after one year, it's normally not because of that, or it's not because of solely that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was my first thought, is that I have all sorts of critiques about what we saw from New Orleans, what we didn't see from them, given the talent that they had. Um, you know, you, I think you can make the argument that they should have been a playoff team, maybe not, you know, five seed or above, but like that they could have been more in that conversation or more competitive in, in that conversation, particularly given how great Zion was uh, this season. But again, anytime someone's let go after one year, and we, we saw this with Bjorkren, with Indiana, um, anytime it's just a one season stay, particularly for someone of Stan Van Gundy's ilk, and who's been around the block and you know has has been in the league and around the league for a really long time uh that that's pretty jarring and i think it speaks to the fact that you know on the heels of his firing when you start seeing stuff about the idea that zion's already having questions or that people in his family are intimating the idea that he wants you know certain things a certain way or that he might want out i think we can imagine somewhat easily that maybe he wasn't a huge fan of stan van dundee or if not him, other people, um, because you're not bending that quickly, and you're not you're not going to bend over that quickly to just kind of oust a coach that you're going to be on the hook. You know, it's not a huge market down there um, mm-hmm. to pay that sort of money to get out of a deal, um, unless there's pressure from somewhere doing that, or unless the players just hate the guy. And it seemed like there was some of that in Indiana, but Stan Van Gundy's pretty well respected, and uh, you know, maybe that respect is from more veteran players. Um, but yeah, the, when I saw that, I immediately the antennas went up, saying something, something was kind of a miss here. Something wasn't working, and it wasn't just X's and O's that weren't working. It was something else. Yeah, I mean, you know, X's and O's wise, their defense was lacking. I, I personally put a lot of it on the personnel groupings um, and just how that roster was constructed. You know. Bringing in Steven Adams it was questionable to me when it happened, and I don't a lot know of money. how good of a fit he is. Yeah, a lot of money, um, more years than you would think, and uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, I think we're in a era of NBA basketball where stars have, and Zion is a true superstar. They have so much leverage. Um, you never know what who who's going to be the first uh, incoming franchise player to sign the qualifying offer and then just get out of town when they want. I'm not saying Zion is going to do that, but him or Luca could technically, I guess. You don't uh, want to be the team where that happens. No, that you way. do not. <laughs> not you with those two guys. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Um, those are two guys are going to be the face of the NBA for a very long time. You want them in your organization. Uh, so I, I get it from that perspective, if that is true and Zion did not want to stand, but, um, you know, New Orleans offense was also really good. And Stan, uh, David Griffin, said that when he interviewed all the head coaches that he did for the job that eventually went to Stan, that Stan was the only one who said, hey, we should play Zion at point guard. So clearly Stan Van Gundy knows what he's talking about. Kind of a bummer. I personally think he's a very good coach. Um, we selfishly, that it is very good news, I guess, for us because we get him on television. He's one of my favorite broadcasters. I hope he goes back to Turner and that would be great. Um I really don't have a lot to say about Scott Brooks, to be honest with you. Uh, kind of just saw the writing on the wall there. Uh, I was actually kind of was... surprised by it okay. a little bit. Okay. But only from the standpoint that if you were going to let him go, I thought that decision would have been made more quickly. Um, mm. I mean, they, they had a very, very, very nice run at the end of the season. They put up a pretty decent fight. 
in the playoffs, quite frankly. I mean, even just to get there um, with, with the playing situation and everything. Um, yeah. But I also figured, like, yeah, it was a really nice end-of-season run, but they have some real talent there. Um, maybe not, you know, title-contending talent, but you have a, a pair of guys that could easily be all-stars in any given season and a guy that was essentially a scoring champ. I know Steph edged them out a little bit. Um, so, you know, even though they had a, a hot end to the season, like, if you don't like the direction of stuff, generally speaking, and you feel like there's a next level you can hit, you could probably make that decision within, like, a week. And we're mm-hmm. now, I mean, how, how long ago were they knocked out? Like, you know, it's been at least... Feels like 45 days. It's, it's, <laughs> been, it's been a couple weeks at this point. So, I mean, like, I actually thought that they were going to keep them just based on how long it had been. I think we did see something a couple of days ago saying that they still weren't completely sure what they were going to do. And anytime you hear that this far after the fact, it's like, all right, well, mm. maybe, maybe there is something coming down the pipeline. But I thought that they were going to keep them just because it had been so long. And they did have a nice end of the season. And... You don't get the impression that the, you know, that I imagine Russell certainly doesn't hate Scott Brooks just because of their history. Um, you know, I, I'd certainly seen different things. Who's it? Bradley Beal's wife. I don't know if it was his wife or his girlfriend that, um, anytime they would lose or particularly they have bad losses, she, you know, she's one of those people that like retweets everything when people are criticizing the organization or just saying how they need more help. Mm-hmm. But you always think a little bit of that is tied to the coach too. Um, so I'm not sure how he feels about Brooks, but I, I didn't get the impression that people there like hated him or disliked him. They had a nice run. You know, he says all the right things to try to pump up his players and doesn't ever throw anybody under the bus. So I, I thought he was going to be back. Not that I felt like he clearly deserved it or clearly didn't, but I just thought based on how long it had been that they'd made a decision to basically bring him back. Yeah, I have nothing ill to say about Scott Brooks. I'm, you know, I, I, I hope that, they look at candidates like Wes Unsell Jr. and give him a shot. A uh, longtime assistant in That'd with, be great. Um, yeah, he's longtime assistant with the Denver Nuggets. He's been all over the place. Uh, really smart guy. Um, had the pleasure of speaking with him for a story I did about Monte Morris a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, it was a great conversation. And so, I just I like when new blood has opportunity in the NBA. Um, and okay, well, I guess we can hit the the Donnie Nelson news real quick. Um, I just briefly mentioned it. Just your real quick thoughts on just, I guess, like what's going on in Dallas. It's you don't want to be dysfunctional right now with with everything that's going on with with Luca. And, um, you know, this is a big offseason for them, like significantly. Uh, So just, you know, what's your read on Donnie Nelson? leaving and Luca saying like I don't make those decisions I'm he's expressing frustration here so it's kind of the opposite of what happened um in New Orleans that we just mentioned a little bit so I I couldn't tell did Kevin O'Connor end up saying that Bob Bulgaris was out too or is it just Donnie? I know they didn't announce that as a team the way they did with Donnie Nelson but I don't I didn't get a clear read on that or if that's coming, it was mixed reporting too. on yeah, it was mixed reporting on that. So I don't I don't know what the latest is there. Okay, no. yeah, I mean, so I, I think we need the answer to that question a little bit, just given some of the reporting that's out there about what Luca does or doesn't like about him, um, sure. and just kind of like, you know, I, <laughs> with all due respect to Bob, I think there's been like a pretty fair amount of, uh, you know, he, he's certainly kind of a character. You know, love him, hate him, whatever it is. If you have a franchise player that has a chance to be generational and you keep him 
And there are reports out there that Luca really likes Donnie Nelson. Uh, I mean, I think you can kind of read between the lines of that situation right there that Mark Cuban might be playing with some fire if he does that, you know, talk about dysfunction or what have you. Look, I don't think you have to be in lockstep with everything that you're doing when you have a superstar necessarily. Like, there's a reason that you've got management there. There's a reason that you own the team because you can do what you want. But if you're doing stuff and you're holding on to people that it's if it's kind of perceived or there is something very real there and there is real fire there to the idea that someone your superstar really dislikes someone and really likes someone else and you let go of the person they like and keep the person that they're perceived to really dislike or have an issue with okay Mm -hmm. like you're making a pretty clear priority there and then at that point you're just hoping that it doesn't cause too much of a rip but that's a that's a risk and uh so that's why i was asking the question about bob i don't know you know i don't know him that well um he and I will message from time to time, but, um, you know, I don't know if stuff, if there's some elements of the stuff that's been dramatized a little bit, but certainly the reporting around that the other day in that story in the athletic, that was a pretty specific sort of thing. And, um, it, I'll put it this way. It was very interesting to see a report about Donnie Nelson being let go. And, you know, if they're not going to do that with Bob and the stuff around Luca and his perception of Bob or whatever is real, then that's, you know, I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, I th- I think you really summed that up nicely. I I think we got to every bit of news. I think the only thing we might not have uh mentioned is that Chris Paul who uh reportedly uh was vaccinated in February tested positive for COVID-19 um and is out indefinitely. Obviously the first and foremost thing that matters here is that he is healthy and 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 beats COVID and, and feels great um, and can get back to doing what he loves, which is play basketball. Um, but that was, yeah, that's just a weird one um, and just a total bummer and part of our, our lives, our day-to-day lives right now during these terrible times. Um, so just assuming that he's going to miss, I, you know, I don't know how many time he's going to miss, so I shouldn't even say I'm assuming anything, but hopefully Chris Paul gets back to being Chris Paul, and we get to watch him play basketball because he's great. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.
Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Okay, Chris. Uh, We teased it at the top. In honor of Jeff Green's 27-point performance, no, I'm just kidding. In honor of Kevin Durant's (laughs) (laughs) 49-point masterpiece on Tuesday night, uh, you and I are going to rank our five favorite, most memorable, most just the most impressive things we've ever seen individuals do on a basketball court. I'm super excited about this. Um, how do you want to? How do you want to kind of kick this off? Do you want me to just give you my number five? Do you want to give me your number five? To start, so we can do it however you want, but I I have a good feeling, and I know we did the power rankings podcast last week. I have a feeling we're going to have at least one or two of the same ones. So I don't I care. Too. I don't care if we rank them, but if we're going to rank them, if we've got the same one, we should just say that before we like. If I have okay. one that's fifth and you have it and it's second, you should just say that you also have it on your list, so that we don't, you know, to. Not to hype up something that then we'll end up talking about sure. twice or three times or what have you. Okay, sure. so you want to go first? Um, I will go first. Okay. Sure. On May 2nd, 2017, Isaiah Thomas scored 53 points, including 29 in the fourth quarter and overtime in a uh, second round game two win over the Washington Wizards. Um, I was at this game... And what made it so, uh, what makes it so memorable is a variety of reasons beyond the point total, beyond how dominating, um, dominant Isaiah looked in what's essentially the last great game he'll probably ever play, uh, which is sad to think about, but uh, just a, a reality. Um, this game took place on um, his uh, sister China's birthday. And she, of course, um, tragically passed away in a car accident about two weeks prior, three weeks prior. Um, extremely emotional before the game. I remember, I remember that game like it was yesterday. It was. Um, I've attended probably, I don't even know, well over a hundred Celtics games in my life. I've never heard TD Garden that loud in ever. Um, Wow. He was magical, and um, I don't know. It was just like a wonderful, um, like a mystical performance where everything he was throwing up was going in, and it culminated one of the most magical seasons I've ever seen any individual player have, given his size and his playing style. So that was just like, that's one of the greats. I know it was only in the second round. I know it was only in game two against the Washington Wizards. Um, that's just like one of the great performances um, when you stack everything together for me. I, I mean, can't take issue with that at all. Um, I remember that. I remember just, 
I, I don't know. I, I've, I've certainly endured some some pretty hard stuff in my life as far as losing folks close to me. Um, and I remember thinking, man, just the strength to even play in that game when, when that happened and whether he would play. Um, and so when he did and not only did that but then had that game, you couldn't help but be happy for Even if you don't want to see the Celtics win, um, you couldn't help but be happy for him in that moment. Chris, there's he, people he, who don't want to see the Celtics win? What? <laughs> who are these people? There, there are a whole lot of them. Trust, <laughs> trust me. I will say this, and I'll use it as a way to, to be cheap and get a couple in that I don't have on my list in part just because, you know, I think you and I are probably going to have more modern lists just because of, you know, being around the same age. Um, so when you said Isaiah, I actually thought you were going to kind of go old school and talk about the game where Isaiah Thomas had 25 points in a quarter on a, like a completely effed yeah. up ankle. Um, and so, yeah, just a legendary performance. Where I think he might have had 43 in that game. Um, and, you know, piggybacking off that, you very easily could have talked about someone who was playing in that game with, with the Lakers where Magic, was that his rookie year where he had to step in and play center in the finals and had 42 and 15 playing center and, you know, just making use of the hook shot. So, um, incredible stuff. I mean, you could go so many different directions with this, but like I said, I, I have a feeling that our answers are going to be mostly more modern than, than those games and stuff like that. So, like I said, I'm, I'm mentioning those two to be cheap so that I can have mentioned them and not seem like I'm someone that only has watched basketball for the last five to six years. Um, so that was a good answer on your part. Um, I, I would probably put KD's performance in the top five. Um, the fact that it was a triple-double, that he was including everybody else, even though certain guys weren't shooting well, Harden, cough, cough. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, he couldn't, you know, he doesn't really have it. You put him at 30 or 40%. I, I think I had said in a tweet that he was like at 7%, which was closer to his shooting percentage Fair. than what you mentioned. Um, so, you know, it was really, really impressive. And, and KD has had some really impressive playoff performances. Some that I don't think would ever make this list in part because he was with a loaded team in Golden State. But even when he was with Oklahoma City, he had some really crazy ones. I think he had a 43 point game in the finals at one point that year that Oklahoma City made to the finals but I think his was good enough to to be one of the best five that I've seen um the one I'll mention though um since we all saw the KD one recently I am so in love with that clay performance in 2016 game six against Oklahoma City I mean I just think that that one changes the history of basketball a little bit like if he doesn't step up there um just the stakes and you go back and watch it, and he's, like, letting go of some of those shots before he catches them almost. Like, it's insane how there's no dip in his shot whatsoever. Um, you know, it's to a point where there's one. I remember noticing this when I was working on a story about Kevin Durant losing his shoes. I actually went back and counted three games, three seasons worth of every time he lost a shoe on the court because he always would lose a shoe. It was every eight <laughs> games that he lost a shoe. But I remember going back and looking for every instance of him losing his shoes he lost a shoe in that game, sort of, where, and one of the times he lost a shoe was like trying to close out on Clay Thompson, like just sprinting at him and it just making no difference because Clay was just in such a zone. And um, so that, that one will always stand out to me in part just because I don't think you ever get KD in Golden State if not for that moment. I think Oklahoma City probably wins the title that year if not for that. So that one is on my list, even though. It's fundamentally different than everything else on my list because he's not someone handling the ball a whole lot. But that game and, and just the, the balls on him to play that sort of game is just incredible. 
So Clay's performance uh, cracked my honorable mentions. I had like three or four, not nothing crazy with okay. my honorable mentions, but that definitely, yeah, it's like he was a volcano. It was ridiculous. Um, and you're right, it changed the course of NBA history. Um, if he doesn't do that, if Oklahoma City wins the title that year, which they, they easily could have, you know, obviously LeBron in the finals would have been, that would have been a really tough matchup. But that Thunder team was Oh man, they were, they were ridiculous. Good. They were so they were good. Ridiculous. Man. Yeah. Um and KD is not to be messed with. So so that was an honorable mention the clay game. I have the uh the KD game um that we just saw is number 4 on my list. So like that's wonderful. Um yeah, I mean, there's really nothing else to say. I feel like everything is that can be said about this performance has been said. Um, I will just add that uh, maybe the biggest regret of my professional career is not attending this game in person. Um, I watched in my living room where I can literally see Barclays out the window. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, so, like I, had, I hadn't been a game, to a game since last March, since um, the season initially was suspended last season. And, you know, part of that is just because I don't see a, a humongous benefit with us not being allowed in locker rooms. And uh, I personally like rewinding on television to, um, you know, catch stuff that I missed, catch possessions that uh, like, how, oh, how did Joe Harris spring free here for this layup? And I'll just rewind it and rewatch the possession and I take notes and all that. Sure. So it's just like how I um, that's that was like fundamentally why I, I didn't attend. And then I'm watching that game and it's like. Uh, we're getting um, midway through the third quarter, I think. And I'm just like, this is like, Katie is going to have 50 tonight. Um, and the Nets are clearly going to win. And this is going to be an all time performance. He's not coming out of the game, which <laughs> I mean, it's just an epic, epic, epic performance. I really wish I saw it in person. That was a faux pas of mine that, um, yeah, I don't think I'll ever get over. Um, can I mention one thing, and, and hopefully it doesn't break sure. stuff up too much. As you talk about a game you wish you'd been at a person, I guess it's an aside. Maybe it's maybe it's just a story between you and me at some point later. But I, I was very close at one point to not making it to Game 7 in 2016 between the Warriors and Cavs. Uh, oh, dear Lord. Uh, because of, you know, my girlfriend wanted to do the whole Napa thing since we were out in California. I'm like, okay. She got really, really, she, we couldn't, the place we were going to go for breakfast that day, um, before we went to like wine tastings and stuff and like on a wine tour, um, couldn't take us as early as they said they would be able to for our reservation. So she's like, well, that's okay. It's not going to be, you know, our reservation's not going to be ready until after we're done with some of the wine tastings. So let's just do that. But she's like pretty small person and like doesn't drink. And so a lightweight, um, and so did all the wine tastings. We weren't spitting the wine out because we don't really drink we don't know any better so she got extremely sick and it's like chris herring with the dilemma of whether or not to leave his like violently ill girlfriend in the hotel room out near napa <laughs> and then having to drive through like oakland traffic to get to game so i made it to the game late because of that um like wow. maybe the maybe the most consequential game in nba history over the last I don't know. I don't even know how far back you'd have to go. But yeah, that would have been bad if I'd missed that game. And I probably would have kicked myself just a little bit if I'd missed that game, uh, given the, <laughs> the LeBron block and everything. So anyway, neither here nor there. I just wanted to throw that in. <laughs> but you, So you made the game. which is I did make the matters. game. I made it like okay. midway through the first quarter, which is bad enough as is. But yeah, I did make it to the game. 
So you had obstacles that you overcame to attend that game, and I was literally just sitting on my couch <laughs> staring <laughs> out the window at the roof of Barclays Center. Um, wonderful. That did not make me feel any better, Chris. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so as we go through, and I, I'm going to give my, my third um, game on this list now, and I want to say, like, I think I hope we don't get accused too much of recency bias, um, but you were right to spot that um, these games have been fairly recent. And part of the reason is, yeah, recency bias is a thing. We are human beings. And part of it is there have been great performances of late over the past five, um, six, seven years, whatever. Um, Part of it is just like I have like the way I, I put my list together was, you know, you mentioned the, the uh, original Isaiah Thomas performance on the sprained ankle. Um, and I was like, not, I think I was alive, but I do not recall watching that game. In yeah. Person. I was so it's like, I don't have, a, yeah, exactly. I don't have like an emotional attachment to it. And so I tried to have, um, I tried to have like attach, uh, just my feelings as I was watching the games, as I put this list together as well. Sure. Um, so number three is actually a game that I feel like we've already forgotten and overlooked, and it just happened. Um, and it's Damian Lillard's Game 5 versus the Denver Nuggets. I wondered whether you were going to go with that. Okay. So this came in a loss, which is one of the all-time bummers. It came in the first round. Um, but according to you know, Basketball Reference has this game score metric that obviously you're aware of, which basically just like assigns a number to every individual performance. And obviously the higher the number, the better the game, the more impressive the game. Um, Lillard's rank, this, this, this um, game score stat goes all the way back to 1984 for the playoffs. Uh, Lillard's game five against the Nuggets is number one on that list. Is it really? It's number one. KD's wow. is number th- KD's game five is number three on that list, and number two is this absurd game Charles Barkley had um, when he was on the Suns. Shout but, out to Barkley. Yeah, shout out to Barkley. But Lillard <laughs> made um, an NBA playoff record 12 threes, 55 points, 52 minutes. Like, we talk about KD not sitting, and that's wonderful, and he went 48. Okay, well, Dame played 52. Um, literally put the Blazers on his back on the road. Was just hitting shot after shot. Like I'm, I'm sure these shots are still fresh in your brain. Like those shots, man, were just like. I know Dame is Dame, but they just weren't. They weren't from a human being. They just you know. Weren't. You um, know what you're making me think too, as you say this, and like I kind of realize this. I think even more so than a recency bias. What I have mm-hmm. looking at my list, and we'll get to this, and I think you can probably imagine who's on my list based on what I'm saying. I don't even know if it's as much a recency bias as much as it's like a greatness bias for like how great the player is. So I think in our minds, we're more likely to kind of lionize a KD performance than we are a Dame performance based on what they've accomplished in their careers or like Mm -hmm. where we think they'll fall within their careers. Like Dame, certainly without a title, it's a little bit hard to think that Dame will be thought of more highly when his career is all said and done than KD. Um, and so I think there's, and, and I think there's more of a bias for that, at least for me. I don't want to speak for you or for anybody else, but like as I look at my list, that's what I'm realizing a little bit. I, Clay was an outlier a little bit, but certainly Katie, like you could, like you said, basically what you're saying in some in as many ways is like 
there's not much more any more of a justification for Katie Katie's game being looked at more favorably than than Dame's, other than the fact that round one, you know, a loss versus a win, but more points in Dame's. The defensive attention that he was getting was kind of more ridiculous, you know, and looking at it that way, like we could talk all day about how Giannis never did pick up Katie and never really tried to. Um, so you're right. We I could mean, talk I, all day about that. Yeah, we, we could. I just wrote all day about it, all night about that. But yeah, so absolutely. I mean, it's, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it was one I considered too. And like in thinking about why I left it off my list, it probably is a bias that I have for like how great is the individual player that did it. Um, so I love that he's on your list, actually, since he's out of mind. Right. So before you give me your next game, I just want to say that I watched this game. Um, my wife and I went on a little mini vacation that wasn't really a vacation. We just w- went to Florida um, last week or two weeks ago, whenever this game was, um, to stay at my in-laws. They just bought a, a condo on, on Sanibel Island. So we had this place to ourselves, it was, like overlooking the ocean. So beautiful. Wow. Um, my wife had just gone to bed. And um, we just gotten there, I think that day or the 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 the, the previous day, and um, I'm pretty sure that there were two, there were three games that night, and two of them were on either Turner or ESPN, and one was on NBA TV. The Nuggets Blazers was on NBA TV. This condo did not have NBA TV, so I watched it on my phone, and was just cackling like an idiot. I remember I was laying down on a couch, um, just holding the phone up over my head at like midnight or whenever it was, just like hallucinating. Like maybe I drowned earlier in the day and this was heaven, me just watching Damian Lillard on my phone hit ridiculous shots. Like I, I it was it was it was like a spellbinding performance. So that was I'll just I'll never forget that. Yeah. No, it's it, I, I was doing the same thing. Like I'm just laughing like an idiot watching the game because <laughs> the shots were just like they were hilarious at a certain point. Like it made it, it just at a certain point, it just went beyond all reason, like what he was doing and got progressively crazier. And that, those are the sorts of performances I think that like belong on this list, in my opinion. So, yeah. So hit us with your next one, Chris. Sure. So I think this one actually goes outside of what I just said as far as like how ridiculous it was. But I'll, I'll give it anyway, just because I think this one actually has more potential to be overlooked than the others. Um, in a loss and in a series loss, which I think is probably the more the bigger sting for him. Uh, LeBron's game one in 2018 against the Cavs where J.R. Smith dribbled out the ball. Um, I mean, that's my number two. Yeah. Is it? Okay. So 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 we're on the same page then. I mean, this dude almost had a 50-point triple-double in game one of a finals where, like, pretty much his team was thought to have no real chance. They did end up having a chance, but only because of LeBron. Um, I mean, let me see if I have it pulled up. I think I did as far as the numbers with it. Like, let's see. So he got 21 from Kevin Love, but Kevin Love was one of eight from three. The team was 10 of 37 from three, and LeBron Oof. LeBron was three of seven, so like basically the rest of the team was what? Worse than 25% from the field, from three. Um, 51, eight and eight. And they probably win that game if, uh, you know, the, the whole thing. If that George whole Hill, if George Hill if he makes, makes a free throw, throw right? If, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we can blame it on JR, but George Hill kind of got off scot free with that. Um, and and then you know and you could just sense and you know what we remember about that is LeBron 
how angry he was and how he like wasn't talking to anyone on the bench right after that because he had just spent himself that whole game and there was nothing left to give. They, they had been behind in the fourth quarter. They came back, outscored Golden State by six to basically put themselves in position to win. LeBron helped them put them in position to win. And then he was just spent. He had nothing left at that point. And then they got outscored by 10 in overtime. And, and you just kind of felt right then and there that was the series. Um, situation where they had no business being in it. LeBron was 19 for 32 from the field um, against an all-time great team. So that one for me is, is a pretty easy one. It, it's interesting because, you know, normally there's a moment that we remember from big games like that. But for him, it was just he, he was just the best player in the series by such a wide margin or at least in that game, certainly. And, um, you know, you just felt every chance, any chance they had for that series go out the window in that moment. So I'm going to try to make this performance even more impressive if possible. I don't think it is possible. But to quickly set the stage, LeBron entered that series um, after a conference finals against the Celtics in which the Cavaliers, I don't know, like I don't think people remember this, the Cavaliers were down 3-2 without home court advantage. So they had to win a game seven in Boston right. and play two straight elimination games um, as I, I, like their defense that year was just like wretched. Like so it was bad. LeBron, it was like it was LeBron. It was like that was the team, basically. No disrespect to Kevin Love. Um, so in those two elimination games, game six and seven against Boston, LeBron rested two minutes total. He scored 81 points, 18 assists, 26 rebounds. And he made 53% of his threes. So a few days later, like, to, ha- to, 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 to mentally and physically do that, not that the Celtics were a juggernaut or anything, but just facing elimination, wanting to get back to the finals, having to do basically everything um, on every possession, to grind through that, and then a few days later, know that you have to climb a mountain that is basically insurmountable, Against KD, Steph, Draymond, Clay, one of the greatest teams ever put together, the best defense in that postseason, and he goes out and he just gets to the rim uh, whenever he wants the whole night. Like I, I was at that game; it was it was ridiculous the way he was driving to the basket. Um, Draymond couldn't do anything. Uh, I'm trying to think of who is even playing center. It was Bogut on that team. I don't even remember honestly, but whoever was in the front court couldn't do anything to that man. He was unstoppable. Um, so yeah, that was absolutely ridiculous. Who did um, they have? Now I'm looking. They had Kevon Looney on that team uh, as their guy. Zaza was on. The oh, team, they did, but he didn't play okay. in, that, in that game. So yeah. yeah. And Jordan Bell. Wow, I forgot about that too. <laughs> Blast from the past. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that was a ridiculous <laughs> game. Um, what's your next one, Chris? I have for my next one. Um, so, like I said, modern, you know, you and I being about the same age, but also great players. So, I had LeBron again. I really had two performances, but I'll split them to make them one, basically. Um, and I wouldn't doubt that you'll have this as a Celtics fan. His game six in 2012 against Boston. Um, That's my number one. That's my number yeah, one. where dude just looked, I mean, literally looked possessed. I mean, there's that famous image of him just kind of standing there during the free throw and just his eyes looking like, scary as hell a demons a a demon like i don't i I don't love to make that comparison but like that's kind of what it looks like let's (laughs) let's let's keep it a buck um that game and i'll 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 split it with that and then the the 48 point game he had in 2007 against the pistons where he had 25 straight um where he scores 25 straight and they just i was watching highlights of that before we hopped on 
and he's like making Tayshawn Prince look like he's standing still. Just one dribble from the three point line, like getting into the paint and dunking. Like the the dude's athleticism, his quickness, his speed. Like he didn't have a good jumper at that point in his career, but that particular night he just had it going. You know, the Pistons to me were the better team in that series. Certainly the better team in that right. series, but LeBron wouldn't let them lose and was just hitting jumpers from everywhere. Chauncey was Chauncey Phillips was trying to guard LeBron. Like Chauncey at that age, like a great <laughs> all-time great defense trying to guard him, and you're just watching him and Sheed and Tayshawn and they and Ben Wallace, and they just have nothing for him. And it was just you know to me that's probably the more dominant performance between that and the one that the Boston game. Um, but the Boston game, he just so clearly had come in with a mindset where like they were not going to lose, and it was so evident from the first minute of that game, like he was not going to let them lose that game. That was a much more stacked team he had, so I tend to, to favor the Detroit performance more. Um, it was also earlier in his career before he had any business doing anything like that compared to the mm-hmm. the one in Boston. So I, I tend to favor the, the game against Detroit more, but both of them were just like possessed. The dude was just possessed and so good. So I have him on my list, I guess technically three times, but I would have him as my second and my third, you know, between those two and the one that I, we were just talking about against the Warriors in 2018. Yeah, I mean, we're using a lot of language that's affiliated with religion to describe I know. James. <laughs> and, like, honestly, like, the way I... I'll, I'll continue with that trend. The way I view that game six in Boston was just like an exorcism. Because if you go back to that time, this was before he won any titles. This was when... This was after like, the Mavs the series. Right? Yep, exactly. And... um this like they were down. This is an elimination game in Boston against the team that basically pushed him to Miami to create a super team. If he can't win this game, then what is LeBron James? Then it's like the it's like he's a house of cards and that has folded. That is so I can't even like stress how much pressure was on him heading into that game, and for him to come through, forty five, fifteen and five, um, didn't score. It was such a blowout that he didn't score. Um, his last basket was with seven ten, seven fifteen left in the fourth quarter. So the numbers, wow. you look at the numbers and you're like, oh, those are like those are pretty impressive. Like they could have been better easily if the game was more competitive. But he just snuffed the Celtics out. Played every minute in the first three quarters. Um, yeah, to me, that's the most important game that I've lived through. Um, just because if they lose, what happens to the greatest player of our generation? Like it's just like it's it's crazy to think it's such a fork in the road performance and game um i think about it often whenever people talk about is lebron the greatest player ever like that game is just like bolster is not coaching them anymore if they lose that game i mean there there were there were a number of things that were probably going to change and uh it's i'm always fascinated by the what ifs certainly from a historical standpoint um at a bare minimum like his coach would have been different by that point if they don't win that game um yeah, that I now that you mentioned that I really do remember how over the game was before the end because he just I mean he had so thoroughly dominated the game that uh there was nothing left by that point. Yeah, so a ridiculous game that traumatizes a part of me also to this day. Um <laughs> Chris, I, I those are basically all. That's like my top five. Did you list five? I can't. I think you I did. listed. I listed five, but I, I ranked them in four spots because I had those two LeBron games, the Boston one and the Detroit <laughs> one, in the right. two spot. So I left. I, I reserved the number one spot for the Jordan performance against Boston as well. 
Um, so this is predating both of us. But, I mean, I, I went back and watched a chunk of that game um, this morning as well. And that was kind of like his coming out party where, um, you know, it, it's interesting to consider like a Devin Booker sort of thing. Michael was always on a higher level than that. But there was kind of a moment where like people weren't convinced if he could win yet. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was the game where he's doing that against like a group of Hall of Famers and doesn't have really any of that sort of talent on his own team that like, oh shit, he can do this against all these dudes. Like he's out there by himself on the road in the garden and just doing what he wants. And that was a game that went to overtime where he played, I'm pretty sure more than 48 minutes. Um, Did lose, did come in a losing effort. Um, But it had a lot of the same feel of kind of what we just talked about with LeBron in that Detroit game where Michael's just doing it all by himself. They're fouling him. The fouls aren't stopping him. Like, he's scoring off of the fouls. Um, He's doing all sorts of acrobatic stuff. He's hitting jumpers. We all know the play where he goes between his legs three or four times in a row on Bird and and goes glass. I mean, they just had... All, the, the thing all these games have in common for the most part, it, it didn't matter what the defense was doing because the defense couldn't – they were playing as if the defense wasn't there. Uh, and that one, to me, was just kind of his, his massive coming out party. It's still to this day is the highest scoring performance in the playoffs in NBA history. Um, so that one I have at the top of my list just because I think that was his best showing. Um, and it was at a time before I think he kind of realized the finer nuances of kind of – always involving everybody in the triangle and all that stuff. So it was like the same way that we've grown to appreciate and just kind of come to enjoy Katie going off because he has to or Steph going off because he has to. Like that was Michael's version of that. And um, so it shouldn't be surprising. I think that that maybe was the best we've ever seen because it was just him in desperation mode by himself and it was just awesome to watch. Yeah, obviously an iconic performance um, against one of the greatest teams of all time. And he had he had DJ on him, Dennis Johnson, and he had Danny guarding him. Um, yeah, you go back and watch film of that game. Like he was just making a fool of Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish in the paint. Like he was, he was, you know, as Larry Bird said, he was God. <laughs> so um, that was a, a, a truly ridiculous um, game. And I always think about that though, like. Why hasn't anyone, I'm sounding like such a, I don't even know, like, I I say this, like, earnestly, why hasn't anyone scored more than 63 in a playoff game yet? Like, I, I, it's obviously hard. We're not far from it at this point, because the other thing is we mentioned recency bias is just the pace and the fact that. The three ball, yeah. The three ball, I mean, it's it's, going to happen. You know, if if Dame had gone one more overtime, it probably would have happened. And, you know. The fact that we're seeing it out of KD. Now, granted, like 48-minute performances, 52-minute performances, but we're going to see it. And I mean, we also, quite frankly, we almost saw it last year. Like Donovan Mitchell had 57 last year. So it's it's doable and it's possible, and I don't think it'll stand for that much longer. Like I would put money on one of the next two postseasons, somebody will snap 63. I don't know that it'll have the significance, but again, I think so much of that is tied in with the greatness of the player that we're talking about. So I think Jordan... It's remembered more fondly, even though he lost because it's Michael Jordan. But somebody will break it. I'm not sure it'll be. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I mean, that's... We both gave our list. Those are some great games. I have a couple quick honorable mentions I want to run through. Sure. Um, 
Draymond, this is like one of the most forgotten games, great games. Draymond, game seven of the 2016 That's a good finals. one. I love it. Um, 32 points. This is Draymond Green. 32 points on 15 shots, 15 rebounds, nine assists, two steals. He sat for one minute. I mean, and obviously the defense. Like, I... That game, man, like, I remember him hitting, I forget how many, like, five threes in the first half or something like that and being like, oh, my God, they're going to run away with this. And obviously they didn't win the game, and so that performance is just completely swept under the, the rug of history. And it shouldn't because that was, that was some all-time stuff right there. Um, so I just want to quickly mention that because I feel like it gets overlooked a lot. Um, the other game that's not really... I don't know. I just feel like I should mention it, but um, I attended Kobe's last game. I don't know. 60 points, 50 shots, whatever. It was very memorable to me personally. It was crazy to be there. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, that was at the end of a regular season, at the end of a great career. I don't know. It was it was memorable. I don't know if it was like a, a great game. Um, and that's basically, that's what I came up with. Um I'm sure we've 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 forgotten some, overlooked some great performances. So, uh, to all of our wonderful listeners, please email us in with your uh, favorite or um, any individual performance that you think is the best ever or that you have seen. Um, so, email us at openfloormail at gmail dot com. Openfloormail at gmail dot com. Um, also, you know, email us about any questions you have about the playoffs. Um, Chris and I will be back next week. Uh, Rohan and I will be back on uh, on Monday. Um, Chris, do you have anything else uh, you want to add before we sign off here? Nope. I've talked more than enough already today, but I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate you giving me one more time to just talk my head off. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, uh, thank you so much to our listeners once again. Um, uh, stay safe this weekend, everybody, and continue to enjoy the NBA playoffs. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.